This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. got a lot to do on a Wednesday drive. The big breaking news, James Harden, no longer a Houston Rocket, traded to the Brooklyn Nets, a team that's already having its own issues with a guard, a superstar guard on its roster. We've got Wes Durham to talk ACC hoops in a little bit as well. And speaking of ACC hoops... We have to talk about the Tar Heels winning a game last night that, quite frankly, I didn't think they would. I thought the Syracuse Zone would give North Carolina more issues than it actually did. I didn't expect Leaky Black to hold Buddy Beheim scoreless in the second half after he dropped 18 in the first 20 minutes. But this isn't really about me being wrong or right. Last night was a massive step forward for this Tar Heel basketball team. First off, Syracuse is pretty good. The two best teams North Carolina's beaten this year, the Orange and Stanford. Syracuse is a legitimate NCAA tournament team. North Carolina won that game. And I wouldn't say North Carolina is a top five team in the ACC right now. I wouldn't go that far. But it's just important that North Carolina was playing Carolina basketball. That it looked a lot more familiar to the teams that are generally successful under Roy Williams. 18 assists on 29 baskets, 24 second chance points on 24 offensive rebounds. That's what Carolina normally does. They also take care of business in close games. That's what they did in the past, not last year. This is the third straight win North Carolina's won by either one or two possessions. Games decided by six or fewer. Three straight. Last year? North Carolina was 2-7 in the same scenarios. 2-7 and seven in games decided by one or two possessions. That tells me a lot about this, te- this year's team's toughness and how guys respond to adversity. It's something to keep an eye on when we start rolling closer to March. That North Carolina is capable, when the game gets close, to not let it slip away. To respond to adversity. Syracuse will have... A nine to nothing run, or excuse me, even a sixteen to nothing run like yesterday, the Tar Heels aren't going to be shaken. They're going to get baskets, and they're going to get back in the game, and they're going to fight, and they're going to make plays late. Last night, it was the first time I can remember North Carolina not panicking at the end. They kind of were fortunate against Miami, the spots they went into. And against Notre Dame, they're at home. Notre Dame and Miami, both bottom feeders in the ACC. Syracuse is a good team, though. And North Carolina looked prepared and knew the necessary plays to make at the end of the game. They're starting to look whole, too. Garrison Brooks. We've been trying to figure out for over a month what the hell's going on with him. This was his first double-double of the year. And it happened while R.J. Davis... Did some good things. We've been waiting for the point guards to do something, to take steps that we expect McDonald's All-Americans to make, like RJ and Caleb Love. Caleb, it's still going to take some more time, I think, for him to figure things out. But RJ, a couple of steals, some big shots, 
I liked what I saw there. It looked like Carolina basketball. Garrison, he looked a lot like the guy last year that led us to believe he could be an ACC player of the year. First team all ACC guy. Anthony Harris. Roy told us yesterday, as we saw him dressed for the game, that he's close to returning. This past week, spending, uh, for the first time, being on the floor for practice. Being on, pra- uh, being on the floor for practice and... Uh, being able to do full court stuff. He hasn't been able to do that since his knee injury halfway through last year. So that's good news as well. North Carolina going to get deeper in a little while. Last night, it was a massive step because Syracuse is good. North Carolina's winning close games, which they didn't a year ago, and they're starting to look whole. All the parts that they brought together that led us to believe this is a deeper North Carolina team than usual are all starting to gel. Shifting things to Duke. I understand when Duke loses a game, that's a story in and of itself. People hate Duke so much that when you say nice things about Duke, you have guys and even radio producers who will call you Dukey G. Those are things that happen. Duke was beaten by Virginia Tech in the castle. But let's not make Duke losing the story because, to me, that would be burying the lead. Mike Young's Hokies were the story last night, and they proved once again they are a legitimate contender in the ACC. This isn't just a one-year deal. This isn't Mike Young just working some magic. This has been building across two different coaches over a five-year span. Buzz Williams, when he took that job, he changed Virginia Tech basketball. He made it respectable, where it wasn't strange if Duke went into the castle and lost to the Hokies. Two years ago, Buzz Williams' last game as Virginia Tech's coach was against Duke. It was in the Sweet 16, and Virginia Tech had a look to win the game against Zion, RJ, and Cam Reddish, and it almost went down. Virginia Tech very well could have beaten Duke on that day. They didn't. Buzz takes the Texas A&M job. And a lot of people just forgot about Virginia Tech, wrote off Virginia Tech when they hired Mike Young from the Southern Conference at Wofford. Especially early on when players who were respected that previous year decided to transfer elsewhere. Their best player went to Florida They lost a bunch of guys. Nobody recognized the players that were currently on the roster. So we all thought, oh, Virginia Tech, they're not going to be relevant again. And if they are going to be relevant, it's going to take three, maybe four years for Mike Young to build it up and make them worth a damn. That hasn't happened. Even just last year, Virginia Tech was more competitive than anybody gave them credit for. This year, early on, they beat Villanova. They have a win against Clemson, the only team to beat Clemson thus far. And now they've beaten Duke. They are asking for respect, or at least that's what they did before. Now they're demanding it. It's hard to ignore it now. They're the first ACC team to win 10 games this year. They survived Duke's best shot. If we're being honest about it, Duke did not have Henry Coleman, didn't have assistant coach Chris Carrawell for COVID protocol reasons, either them testing positive or being exposed to somebody who tested positive. Patrick Tate, big man, transfer from Columbia. He missed his second straight game as well. So Duke wasn't at full strength. Jalen Johnson, he stepped on the floor for a little bit. 
but it became pretty clear very quickly that he wasn't ready to return quite yet. So it wasn't Duke with the full deck, but still a top 25-ranked Duke team. And Virginia Tech went straight at Duke, got whatever they wanted in the first half, led by 18 points, but that's not what was most impressive. They never trailed in the first half. Then Duke cut into the lead, like you knew they would. That's what great coaches do. That's what great teams do. They made it a one-point game with a little over 13 minutes to go. And at that that point, I thought, this game's over. Virginia Tech, good job, good effort. But Duke, they're playing better now. You're having issues with their press. Duke got climbed all the way back in this game. They're not going to lose it now. You're going to surrender the lead, and Duke's going to end up winning. Virginia Tech never had their lead lost. The lead never changed. Virginia Tech was tough, and they bounced back. They took Duke's best shot, and they punched right back. But let me tie it back locally to the triad. Jalen Cohn is Virginia Tech's most dynamic scorer. He is. But he's coming off the bench. That's been a change for Virginia Tech from last year. Jalen Cohn, just think about it in these terms. I want you to think about this. Virginia Tech has its most dynamic score. Cone from Winston-Salem coming off the bench, number one. And even though he's coming off the bench, he is only averaging 20 minutes a game. 19, actually. Last night, he played 20, scored 14 points. So he had a nice night. He only played 20 against Duke, and that was enough for Virginia Tech to still win the game. See, in the past, if you have a guy as talented as Cone, he's Eric Green. You probably might not remember who Eric Green is, but 10 years ago, he was the ACC Player of the Year. Why? Because he did everything for Virginia Tech, and he led the league in scoring. Didn't mean Virginia Tech was a great team. They weren't. But his numbers were unassailable. That, kind of like Cole Anthony last year for North Carolina. You know, Virginia Tech, when they're good, it's usually one great player having to carry the entire team. And in a normal circumstance for Tech, given their past history, that would be what Jalen Cohn has to do. But not this team. He only has to play 20 minutes, and that's enough considering how many dudes Tech has on its roster. Aluma is their best all-around player. He is an early ACC Player of the Year front runner. I'm sure... A couple guys in Louisville would want to have a conversation about that. I'm excited to watch Louisville at the Joel tonight. I'll be in the arena. I'd imagine that's going to be weird as Wake Forest hosts Chris Mack and the ranked Louisville Cardinals. But Carlick Jones, especially, he is a legit ACC Player of the Year guy. Matthew Hurt, with his level of consistency with Duke, even last night, I'd put him into conversation as well. But Tech, with the Luma... And Cone have four different guys averaging double figures. And they're a 10-win team right now with wins against Duke, Clemson, and Villanova. I don't know for sure how big the top tier of the ACC is. This is something I want to discuss with Wes Durham from Packer and Durham on the ACC Network. But I think it's starting to become more defined. I think the top tier of the ACC is some combination of Tech, because they've earned it, Clemson, because like Tech, they've earned it as well, and I'd probably include Louisville in that because of the sheer talent that they have, 
probably a higher ceiling than the 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 two former. But is that it? Is that it for the top group? I want to include North Carolina in that mix. Maybe Florida State, maybe UVA, but I haven't seen enough of UVA yet to feel that way, even though Huff and Hauser were terrific over the weekend. Maybe tonight we'll learn that about Florida State. Florida State plays NC State. I feel like we're going to learn a lot about the Seminoles, who we haven't seen play because of COVID in the calendar year 2021. So things are just starting to get interesting in the ACC. It's easy to make Duke the story. I understand it when people do it. That's how you get a lot of clicks, baby. Hey, say something bad about Coach K. Ask people about Coach K. Coach K said this. Oh, I hate Coach K, so I'm going to hate what he had to say here. But you're going to click, and you're going to watch. When Duke loses, that's always the story in college basketball. But I think if you do that today, you're going to be doing a disservice to those who like college basketball. And more importantly, doing a disservice to Virginia Tech. Because the Hokies are a legitimate contender in the ACC. Last night was just affirmation of it. Not necessarily validation, because they, I think they validated being in that mix with the Villanova and Clemson wins. It's affirmation to anybody who might have doubted it. However, and wherever you're listening, so glad we have you. If you haven't already, you might even be listening this way already. Subscribe to the Best of Podcasts. Just search The Drive with Josh Graham wherever you get your podcast. And the best hour of our show will automatically download into your phone each day, including interviews as well. You got interviews such as the one we did with Rod Brindamore earlier today, which you can find in just a bit on our podcast channel. And now, now, on with the show. Showtime. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. We're already seeing the effect of James Harden traded to the Brooklyn Nets in Las Vegas. Going into today, the Nets had plus 1,000 odds at winning the title. Right now, they're plus 270. Meaning if you bet $100, you'll make $270 if they win the title when going into the day. If you bet $100, you'd win $1,000 out of that. I don't think it's going to work. But this might be a sign by the Nets to Kyrie, listen, if you're going to be difficult and you're not going to prioritize basketball, we're going to figure out a way to go on without you. If you want to be a part of this group, we'd love to have you be a part of the group. You probably can add to the group. But it's not going to be up to you when you return now. Because now with the videos out there, with you going to parties and you being on this political call yesterday while the Nets are playing, the league's going to have its say. The league's going to figure out how much time you miss before you're even allowed to come back. In the meantime, we got to win basketball games. And the way we're going to do this, without sacrificing the prime of Kevin Durant, whatever's left of it, we're going to bring James Harden in. And James Harden's our point guard now. You're going to come in. We we can't. You've proven we can't really trust you to lead this team right now. KD's the guy leading it now. Harden's going to be playing with the chip on his shoulder. If you want to be a part of it, great. But the Nets are making a move now where they're not reliant. Their success is no longer reliant on Kyrie Irving playing for this team. That's why the Nets are ultimately a winner here. I don't know if they're going to win the title. I'd bet they probably won't because I still think the Lakers are so overwhelming. 
But this move today allows the Nets to still be a contender even if Kyrie is MIA. Kyrie is a whack job. Let's be clear, okay? Kyrie is a whack job. He thinks the earth is flat. He burns sage in stupid games. I'm not going to make fun of the sage stuff because, again, it goes back to something religious in his background. I'm not going to say that. Never seen him do it before ever, Josh. Apparently he had, though, according to people who covered him with the Celtics. I'm just pointing that out. Whack job. Let's transition things awkwardly to grammar school, where (laughs) I try to figure out terms of the urban vernacular that BDOT has for me, expressions and words. It's one of the best segments we do each week. We'll get back to college basketball in about 15 minutes, but right now it's grammar school. Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. In high school, he didn't play sports, but he did wear a helmet. And just when you think it can't get any worse. My English teacher wanted to flunk me in junior high. Damn. Thanks a lot. Next semester, I'll be 35. Josh is going to attempt to learn B-Dot's vernacular. I'm from the old school. I got a street knowledge. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's time for B-Dot's Grammar School. Welcome to another episode of Grammar School. If this is your first time, it is very simple. You're a returning visitor. Welcome. Josh Graham has five words or phrases. He has to get three of them correct in order to advance or get a satisfactory grade in today's episode. I'm going to stand up for this. I'm about to say, what do you do? You don't want to crease your, your Jordan 1? So you're That's standing right. up today? I don't want to crease my royal toe Jordan 1. Excuse me. Um, Josh has two lifelines. One is a 50-50 where he goes to Robbie. Robbie may give him the correct answer. Robbie may sabotage him. That's why it's 50-50. He's not going to give me the right answer today because he gave me a right answer last week. Mm. I know how this works. There's your 50-50. He also can um, phone a friend. You are that friend. If you would like to participate, 336 is the area code 777-1600. Call up. If Josh goes to the lifeline, you will assist him. The game goes like this. Josh, what is a JIT? A what? A JIT. A J-I-T. A JIT. So it's a noun. Correct. A JIT. A JIT. J-I-T. Yeah, J-I-T. A JIT. What what could that be short for? Hmm. It's not like Jitterbug. Remember those commercials, Robert? (laughs) Jitterbug. What were the phone? Was it a phone or a phone service? I don't even know what you're talking about. I remember Jitterbug. I don't remember what it was. I want to say it was a phone service. JIT. If it was starting with a G, I might think it has something to do with legit. Mm. Jet. You'd be wrong. I know. Yeah. That's why I pointed out I would be wrong in saying that. Good job, Josh. Jet. 336-777-1600. If this is your first time listening, whenever Josh just randomly throws out the phone number, that means he's trying to phone a friend. So that means he needs your help. If you'd like to help Josh, hit us up, 336-777-1600, and let him know what a JIT is. I'm scared because I don't think you put me in a bad spot, but JIT, it just sounds like something bad. Does it? Yeah, yeah. Like, you wouldn't want to be called a JIT, I don't think. Mm. JIT. And also, I got to be careful because it rhymes with a word I know I can't say. Yeah. Jet. Although that word is very helpful in the definition. I'm going to say it is something you don't want to be called. It's 
like calling somebody an ass or a jerk. They're a jit. Hmm. A jit is a young person oh. that don't know ish. Okay, so a dumb young person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's got to be a young person, though. Yeah. You know okay. what I'm saying? I got that wrong. I've always thought a jit was like, you're young boy. Like, this is my little jit. Like, but you're, it, but, you're bringing them up through the game. But he don't know nothing, though. Okay, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so like, yeah, you, you. So, like, he's not a dummy. He just, he just doesn't know anything. Gotcha. You know what it's, I'm saying? I think uh, if you want to know the state of orig- origin, I think that's out of Florida. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. Very good. Number Brent, two. Brent wrote in on Twitter. What did Brent say? Jit, short of short for young person. I'm not looking See? while this is happening. I Brent, don't first cheat. of all, what are you doing, Brent? Why are you trying to send messages and help through Twitter when you can very easily just call up 336-777-1600 since you're a know-it-all? Office. Could be in the office, though. It's 430. All right. But well then, Brent, tell Josh what this means. The cake been baked. The cake been baked. <laughs> The cake been baked. The cake been baked. And I give you an extra point if you can tell me its origin. I don't want to go to Robert because I know he's going to give me the wrong answer. But <laughs> You don't know that. I'm going to go to Robert. Robert. 50-50 here, y'all. 50-50 being it's used. 50-50. I really have no clue what this <laughs> is either. But you I'm were laughing. <laughs> I was laughing. Uh, you were saying it. The cake has been baked. <laughs> I didn't say has. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say has. I would assume that the, the cake has been baked means something similar to like the other shoes already dropped. This has already happened. Like yeah. can't, This has been set into motion. You can't stop it. The cake's already been baked. I was just making sure with bacon it, it wasn't something drug related. Oh, it might be. <laughs> I might actually know exactly what this word is. Who knows? <laughs> Terrible. Now, now you've given me more options than <laughs> narrowing it to 50-50. I think we should give him a third lifeline that's like, I tell him whatever the number one Google search says. <laughs> and that way he, no, it's like... No, no, I do like that as a third lifeline. Because he needs three, right? If yeah. we're going off the who wants to be a millionaire thing. We may not implement that today, but I like that possibly moving forward. The cake Robert. has been baked. I'm going to say it's somebody... I'm going to go against Robert there because that's exactly what I would have thought it was. I'm going to say it's somebody that is high. Like somebody, the cake's already been baked, man. I'm high already. I'm sorry. Yeah. The cake been baked means the other shoe is already falling. Oh! <laughs> it's already been put I in motion. Tried. <laughs> I tried. I <laughs> tried. It's you. already been put in motion, baby. My trust with Robert's been damaged by this show. <laughs> the cake's been baked. Gosh, Robbie, do you know where, where the origin of the cake's been baked? I don't. I, I was trying to think about God, it. God, what is that stupid movie, man? Uh, first person camera down in Atlanta, Snow on the Bluff. There you go. Snow on the Bluff. That's what. Have you ever is seen Snow on the they, Bluff? I was thinking Cloverfield. Totally different movie. <laughs> what's, the third, what's the third one here? He's Number three. Look. What is a big face? Oh. Now there isn't are actually that, two Isn't that options. Jimmy Butler's coffee name? Or is that big head? I don't know, but you better not use that as an answer. You're going to get your third <laughs> and officially fail today with your cute shoes on. What is a big face? <laughs> oh, crap. You need this one to, a, to give yourself a chance, Josh. What is a big face? Oh, three, three, my six, God. Seven, 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 one, six hundred. And the thing about a big face is it's two answers. You can give me one of two answers and either one will be correct. Jimmy big Butler's face. coffee is Big Face Coffee. There it is. That's not the answer, though. 
I would say it's somebody that has a big head that is borderline arrogant. It's a hundred dollar bill. It's got the big face Benji on it. Or it's a watch. You have a big face. All right. Watch. Let's just blow through the rest of these since I have a failing grade today. What's a 187? You might have heard it in songs like 187, how I'm killing these bros. A one eight seven, and your dad was a cop. Does that mean a shooting? Is that your final answer? Sure. No, it's a homicide. Why? Well, I, mean, I even gave close. I gave him like in the, too much of the song. I know, like a shooting. I thought, yeah, homicide. You are zero for four. This is bad. Last one. I need to at least salvage something. Yeah, he's having a Caleb Love game. <laughs> Last one here. Uh-oh. Who said, who's infamous for making this phrase? I said what I said. Multiple choice. Okay. Is it Monique? Is it NeNe Leakes? Or is it Kim Kardashian? I think it's Monique. And for the first time since we probably started this. No! Oh for five. Oh my god, it was the second one. It was Nene Leaks. I'm so disappointed. Wow. Can you at least think of the gif she's in? She's wearing like that the pink. Yeah, and she's saying, I said, said what, what I, I said. said. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, you were hard. today you were a jit. What if I slipped to a <laughs> what if I slipped to a big face? Will we can we get the grade changed here? <laughs> Maybe. That could work. Nah, that could definitely nah. work. Since it's on air, the cake's already been baked. You killing this? I, I just need to figure things out, man. I don't get it. I'm like a jit. <laughs> you know? But I, I stand by it. I, I said what I said. My God. Nah, these we're not gonna use any of these words like outside in public because if it comes out of my mouth, odds are we're gonna be hearing a 187 called probably. Yeah, I guess yeah, we'll give you that one. Bye, Papa. We'll give it to you. Great Gita, job. Thanks for being in here today. <laughs> thanks for having me, even though you did so horribly on grammar school today. I'll tell you how big of a deal last night's win was for the Tar Heels. Huge. Spoiler alert. Pretty big. That's next. Hit it. Go. Let's begin. It's on. The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Your love is strong. It still remains. I look forward to being at the Joel Coliseum later on tonight. Wake Forest facing Louisville. More on that game in a sec. Wes Durham going to join us at the bottom of the hour. But here's my first impression of NFL Divisional Weekend coming up Saturday and Sunday. More big picture about who has the best path to win the Lombardi. I think it's the Green Bay Packers. I didn't think Green Bay was the best team going into the playoffs. I still think Kansas City is that. But given that, there is a distinct advantage to whoever has home field this year. Because not only do you get home field throughout the playoffs, you also get the one and only buy per conference. It's hard not to think the Chiefs or Packers aren't going to be in the Super Bowl. Let's look at it historically. 70% of teams playing off a of bye week in the playoffs end up winning their first game. 70%. In the last 10 years, 75% have. So you can feel pretty comfortable about the Chiefs. You can feel comfortable about the Packers. Just going off those numbers, 
that they have an advantage, at least for this weekend. The reason I feel better about the Packers' path, though, than Kansas City's is because all four of those AFC teams, I think, are capable of winning it all. I really do. We saw what Cleveland did to Pittsburgh. Without any practice, without their coach, without other assistants or position coaches as well, they're getting former Demon Deacon Kevin Johnson back and Denzel Ward. Good time to get him back for the Chiefs this week. The Chiefs have struggled against the run, being bottom 10 the last few years. Nobody runs it better than Cleveland. I'm sorry, Robert. Nobody other than the Baltimore Ravens run it uh, as well as Cleveland does. And they haven't made many mistakes. They're playing really good football right now. They get to the quarterback, and that's a really important thing to do when you're facing Pat Mahomes. But it's not just the Browns. The Bills, probably the hottest team. The Ravens, one of the most qualified wildcard teams we've ever seen. Meanwhile, in the NFC, you might not have much of a home field advantage when it comes to fans in attendance because of COVID, but it is a distinct advantage you have if you're a team accustomed to playing in cold weather facing teams that aren't. I think that really does matter. Who are the other remaining teams in the NFC? Tampa, the Rams, and the Saints. All from warm weather cities are playing a dome. All from warm weather cities are playing a dome. I don't know if any of those teams, I feel comfortable about them going into Green Bay and getting a win. That's why home field advantage matters so much here. The Rams, they're going into Green Bay this week. I think that's the best matchup for any team this weekend. I really do. You're telling me if it's John Wolford going, with all due respect to what he did in Winston-Salem, you think he's going to go on the road and beat Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game? No chance. Jared Goff, weeks removed from surgery on his thro throwing thumb? There's a reason why Wolford was the starter last Saturday. Not Goff. Green Bay has a distinct advantage this weekend and whoever they play in the championship game. I think the Saints are going to beat Tampa. This one puzzles me. We follow the NFC South closely. The Saints have been dominant in recent years. Can we please stop saying, as some way of analysis, man, it's the third time they're playing each other. It's hard to beat a team three times. As if, for whatever reason, that's at the disadvantage of the Saints? What? Are you saying you'd much rather be Tampa losing the first two so that you have a better shot the third time? No. You'd much rather be the team that's won the first two times because there's probably a reason why. And when you look at the Saints, how they beat Tampa, 38-3 on Sunday Night Football, it's not a good matchup for Tampa. It's not. So the Saints, they're playing at home. This reminds me of when the Panthers played the Saints in the playoffs two years ago. Make it three years ago. Carolina lost both regular season meetings, and I had to take phone calls all week from Panther fans say, oh, well, it's hard to beat a team three times. Look at the numbers. Look at the history. And the Saints took care of business. It's not going to be allowed Superdome, but more importantly, the weather's not going to prohibit a quarterback who can't throw the ball down the field or hasn't been able to this year. It's not going to hurt him as much playing in this environment than it would, I don't know, going to Lambeau. So the Saints, I think they're going to get by this weekend. But running into Green Bay, I, I don't see Breeze being able to outduel Rodgers. So it's a really clear path for Green Bay. And I don't think you could say that about anybody else. That's why I give them an enormous edge here. 
In 10 minutes, Wes Durham going to be here. Look forward to chatting with him from Packer and Durham and the ACC Network. Let's talk about this Wake Forest-Louisville game, Robert, and specifically the two head coaches. Steve Forbes, when he was fired in the wake of the Bruce Pearl stuff at Tennessee, was a junior college coach and a successful one at that in Florida. Coach Forbes has told us stories about that, including one where he had a moped that he rode around in. Actually, he doesn't want it to be called a moped. He pointed out it's a scooter. This is something I think Bruce Pearl told us. Yeah, that he bought, he had this scooter that he rolled around in. Apparently, he didn't know it needed gas, so he's on the side of the road and it runs out of gas while he's the junior college coach down there. Not completely relevant to the point, but after he got fired, Chris Mack apparently went on vacation to Florida, reached out to Coach Forbes, and a, re- a friendship started. Coach Forbes became an assistant at Wichita State. They stayed in touch. Then they got the same agent. And Coach Forbes ended up being a head coach again, of course, at East Tennessee State. They drew up a matchup between each other. East Tennessee State faced Xavier, and it was a game. East Tennessee State probably should have won. They led by as many as 22. They led by 12 at halftime in 2017. But very late, the Buccaneers blew the lead. Xavier ends up winning it. And Coach Forbes called it earlier this week one of the worst losses he's ever had as a head coach. So there is a built-in relationship here. And Coach Forbes talked about it a little bit as both the ranked Cardinals and the Deeks get set to do battle later on tonight. This is Coach Forbes. We text and talk. He texted me at midnight Saturday night. It was weird. I was watching the Duke game, our game, and he was watching it. So we were kind of comparing notes we'll leave it at that and uh and so yeah I, I think I do know him he knows me and I've eaten he's very famous at putters for the teriyaki double meat chicken some salad that I went in there and ate one day and then went home and had a belly ache so I can't eat it anymore but uh it's good food but it was just too much it happens man sometimes food's too much you just can't handle it anymore Obviously, we're big on putters around here. I forget what the restaurant Jim Bayheim loves when he comes to town around here. He talks about it uh, when when he's defending Greensboro and defending his comments from a few years ago, saying he loves coming to this area. There's a steakhouse he goes to every time he plays the Demon Deacons. Maybe Wes remembers what it is. We can get to that later. But Chris Mack, he talked about what Winston-Salem and Wake Forest means to him because the reason why he was a regular at putters was because he lived here. He was on Skip Prosser's stat. He was the person, the brain trust, behind the entire tie-dye nation campaign. All that, that started, it was Chris Mack's idea once upon a time. So this place means a lot to him. And every opportunity he gets to talk about Winston-Salem and Wake Forest, he talks about it in high praise as he did on Monday. It's not a hard place to go back to at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. Uh, it's really comforting. It's a very familiar place. Um, you know, it's it's like going to visit your childhood home, so to speak. You know, it brings back a, a flood of memories, whether it's walking in Joel Coliseum, whether it's driving by campus. Uh, you know, the opportunity, if I ever get it, to go by the old house that uh, my wife and I lived at. So, um, you know, it tries to keep you young a little bit when you when you see those things. It's pretty cool. Robert, you say you don't do that if you're going back 
to Greenville, or if you're going back, see, you're from the triad, but you go past North Davidson or something of that sort. You're not just stopping by uh, for nostalgic reasons? No, I said the only reason I hadn't done it in Greenville is I haven't been back since I left. I do do that and and welcome when I go through there or like this old place my mom used to stay uh, when I was little. I go by there sometimes in Winston just to check up, you know. What are some of the spots you would visit if you were going back to Greenville, America, eastern North Carolina? Uh, I'd go to the scullery. Um, I, I lived there for a half dozen years. At the scullery? Greenville. Oh, okay. Never been to the scullery. Wow. Kind of surprising. I hear people say how great it is, but I don't eat breakfast. It's not just breakfast food. They're just open only for breakfast and lunch. Okay. Well, I've never been there for lunch. So I'd probably go check it. out the river. I'd probably go down to the greenway behind where I used to stay at. Check out the uh, little spot right there. That a tree reaches right out over the water. Check that out. And probably the old house I used to live in. You know what? Since I'm going to the weight game later on tonight, I might hit putters. I might just do that because I want to see what this, what did he call it? The a double, double meat chicken teriyaki salad or something? Uh-huh. Yeah, just to see what that's all about. This might be a hot take, but putters, wildly overrated. Oh, come on. It's it's a staple, man. That's like saying you can you can fill in the blank places in Raleigh, saying like the pit's overrated or saying... In Eastern North Carolina, that Sup Dogs, the bar that keeps winning all those Barstool Awards, is overrated. It, it's a staple. Come on. I mean, it can be a staple, but also overrated. Yeah. There you go. That's Robert's opinion on things. I'm very pro-putters, like uh, Chris Mack is. All right. I feel like we've, we've started to get a good feel for tiers when it comes to the ACC. Really difficult to do so in sample sizes are so different, but in terms of the top tier, I'm starting to feel like we're getting a good understanding for who the top teams are. And with NC State, it feels like to me it's going to be a strong indicator tonight of what exactly they are when they face Leonard's group in Tallahassee. That's going to be at the Tucker Center. We'll get to those topics and more fun when Wes Durham from the ACC Network joins us next. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves to daydream about sports, mostly about being the locker room towel boy. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Got some breaking college basketball news to bring to you. Maybe not quite as seismic as the breaking news of the day that James Harden has been traded to the Brooklyn Nets in a blockbuster trade that has had a lot of other subsequent moves surround it. But NC State Sports Information just reported or put on social media, Manny Bates not going to play tonight against Florida State with an ankle injury. Florida State hasn't played in the calendar year 2021. Leonard Hamilton said earlier in the week, he feels confident most of the guys are going to be able to go. We'll see if that's the case in about an hour as we welcome in the man you know from the pride of Elon, the pride of the uh, of the ACC network, Packer and Durham in the morning, who we heard last night on the call for North Carolina, Syracuse as well. Our guy, Wes Durham, kind enough to be here with us. Hey, Wes. Josh, other breaking news. NC State Louisville women postponed oh, Sunday at three. 
we it's almost become a a daily tradition that we yeah, get. Yeah, it's a five o'clock deal every day. You always look for the emails between three thirty and five thirty. Yeah, let's talk about this Florida State NC State game though, since okay. that is one that's going to happen here. Manny, he's not going to be in the lineup. That's a big deal when you talk about mm-hmm. sure. rim protection and what he does defensively. It feels right. like to me. Tonight's going to be a strong indicator for both Florida State and NC State where they both are. Now, Florida State hasn't played in a while, but NC State, a week and change ago, we were talking and asking whether or not this would be the best team in the ACC before they lost to Clemson in a close one, leading in that, and they lose the Miami game as well. Uh, this, This is a game where NC State can earn a lot of points back if they have a good showing at Tucker Center, don't you think? Absolutely. But at the same time, too, you also have to be cognizant of, you know, what Florida State's going to go through. They haven't played since December 29th. So you talk about knocking rust off. I mean, they've they've had some things go on. They've been able to practice and things like that. Leonard Hamilton was with us uh, yesterday and he said, look, we'll have everybody available. We feel like we've got some decent momentum, but nothing replaces playing games. And when you go into a pause, that's what happens. You lose games. You you might be able to get three or four people together who are okay, but once you clear the isolation and the contact tracing, you probably only have about 72 hours before you have to play the way we're trying to, to mark the calendar up here. So, look, I think NC State's got a real chance. Uh, Saturday's unfortunate. But at the same time, win or lose tonight in Tallahassee, they're still a pretty good basketball team. And right now – you kind of have to gauge that when you look at the league as to you know who a team is today. It's like Mark and I do this accounting thing in basketball, and we've pushed it back till tomorrow because we want to see how the week plays going to the weekend. For me, NC State, regardless if you win or lose tonight, you're you're still a team. I'm I'm going to see kind of at the front end toward the end of the season. I think you know you've got teams that are progressingly getting better. I thought Carolina took a step last night with Syracuse, but NC State you already knows pretty good. They just got to continue to start defining who they are. Um, and I think they're a lot closer to the front than they are the back at this point. I mean, they're not nearly in the situation that Notre Dame's in, hypothetically. Um, or the team – I heard you say earlier you're going to go see Wake Forest tonight against yeah. Louisville. Yeah, Wake Forest is a block-by-block block situation. Wake could win maybe four games, and, you know, Steve Forbes is building a program. He's having to rebuild a team and build a program at the same time, and – Good heavens, under these times, I'm not sure, you know, with the way the erratic scheduling works and things like that, and going through what he went through where he only had, what, three games in 2020? Two games. Right? They or, yeah, yeah, three, three on uh, three New Year's in, Eve. That's right. Yeah, he played on New Year's Eve. So, he had a third game then. I mean, he only played three games. I mean, he he's still inside single digits in terms of the number of games he's played. So The way, the way I look at Wake, I'm so glad you bring him up, and I'm interested. You reminded me I wanted to ask you about this. It, it's almost, there's two ways to look at it. You're describing exactly why I don't think there's a coach in college basketball that's been dealt a worse hand than Steve Forbes this year, considering usually there's eight or nine, maybe ten jobs changed, uh, jobs, different, different people hired in the Power Five, in the Power Leagues, right. if you rope in the A-10 and you rope in the American, some of those subsequent leagues, the Big E certainly. Right. This year, only one coach took a new job in those leagues and that is Steve Forbes and mm-hmm. you have Chondi Brown transfer out you lose Olivier Saar you're describing you lose a month which is very important for development but there is another end of the coin there okay. this this year doesn't count for eligibility 
you're able to get a reclassified Carter Witt who could step in and not lose yeah. a year, it almost feels like, without fans at many of these venues, it almost feels like this year is a walkthrough for Wake. Hey, you if you do anything, great, it's good, but you're trying to figure out what guys fit with each other, what chemistry works, building ahead for the next season. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think there's some real understanding about what, you know, you have to do. And, and again, I'll, we use this all the time in football where we talk about having patience, right? Funny how that conversation gets lost in basketball because they play more games. There's almost more referendums in football, right? Because every game is once a week. Basketball, you play your 32, you win your 12, you win your 10, you win your 16, you win your 26. Everybody just kind of moves on. And basketball, unlike football, although football is getting ready to be that way, is more transactive in terms of the personnel, right? Well, for somebody like Steve Forbes, who's had a roster overhaul and now has been basically a month down, he's had you know the shutdowns, the pauses, the whatevers, it's little things. Now, it's, it's the ability to get guys to understand your philosophies and your culture and your communication skills and all those things. Um, you know, having been through a few coaching changes, I can tell you that there are coaches who sometimes win 18 games in the first year, Josh, and that's too many because the, the philosophy and the culture and, and the things that they really want to be pillars of their program don't get put in concrete as much as, oh, by the way, we beat, you know, Duke or we beat, you know, whoever. That's something you always have to keep in mind. And I think for Forbes, he's such a good coach and such a great communicator. I enjoyed watching his team play last Saturday against Duke. And I'm going to watch the game tonight because I'm, I'm, I really want to get a feel for what he's trying to do there. And I liked what I saw the other day. I see guys who've gotten better from when I saw them earlier in the year in, in clips against people like Longwood. So, you know, I'd be encouraged by by Wake Forest for sure. And it seems like Forbes, because of the risk Wake took, nobody else having coaching changes, you are able to bring in one of the top coaching candidates for a major job across college sports or college basketball in a normal circumstance without any competition. So you might, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Wake might not be, not have been able to get Steve Forbes if other power jobs came open that didn't have some of the limitations when it comes to restrictions on academics and who you can bring in and have a Duke and North Carolina yeah. in your backyard. Well, and I think, too, you have to also recognize that whatever the scenario was at Wake Forest, the scenario is also going to be like that for somebody this coming year, right? I mean – you don't know what the market's going to be. I mean, let's let's be honest. The the football financial vault at Auburn and Texas aside, a lot of people just can't <laughs> afford to make those kind of yeah, moves. South Carolina I and mean, Vanderbilt, apparently, too. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, places where, oh, we made a $2.5 million mistake. Oh, that's okay. We'll just throw that log on the fire, too. <laughs> I mean, I just – I look at it as you have to trust the coaching enterprise – and that's the one thing we've kind of lost in this win it all and win now type mentality that I think sometimes is is really kind of sad because I think a lot of good coaches don't ever get the full shot to try it. And to be honest, I think there are a lot of guys out there that really can do it who don't get a fair cut sometimes. Um, you know, and you have to have patience. And I, I always – I'm going to use the example of Mike Krzyzewski. For those of you that don't know, go back and look at his first four years. And in today's world, he would have never seen five. Leonard right? Hamilton's first six uh, years. 
Leonard Hamilton, right. Now, I would, I'd say that. Then the second thing I would do is go back and look at Frank Beamer's first six years. He'd have never seen seven. I mean, Frank Beamer wouldn't have seen five. Who are we kidding? <laughs> he, he, Frank Beamer joked with me one time we were playing golf at Lake Oconee with Coach Grobe and his son Shane, and I joked, I said, he asked me one time, he said, uh, how many coaches do you think get the, get the lifeline I got? And Grobe started laughing when he asked the question. And I said, Coach, I know you got six before you made some hard – five before you made some really hard decisions in year six. And he goes, yeah. And he goes – and Grove goes, go on, Wes, tell him four. <laughs> I said, you know, and that's that's kind of – most coaches probably wouldn't get the four. But I think that's what we have to do. We have to understand – and you can be a fan of Wake Forest and embrace the change, right? That's the part that I think – embrace the building, embrace that development, embrace those type things. It's happened a couple of times there in football – I mean, it happened with Jim Grobe, and it happened again now with Dave Clawson. And I think that's something to be valued more than anything else. Look, it's happened quick at Carolina, okay? But it didn't happen quick at NC State. It happened at, with Duke and David Cutcliffe. And then now they've had a couple dips, and they've got to go back and look and see, okay, what's happened in our situation? You want to see it on a larger scale? How about New Year's night? You know? New yeah. Year's night didn't go well for Dabo. Now, do they have to look at, was there something wrong at the core, or is it just schematic, right? I mean, you've got to have enough confidence and enough understanding and enough trust and communication in your program with your players and your coaches to understand how that is judged. You follow me on that? Because I think that's, you know, perilous mistakes get made when you overreact to something. NC State. And, and in coaching, co- oh, coaching, gets, coaching gets examined and – Parisly overreacted to several times. NC State, they remember when everybody wanted the fire Dave Doran after the 2016 season, and then we oh, saw. Oh, sure, absolutely. We, we get we if you if you act have a couple of great years and then you have a dip, then people you know some aren't quite as patient to give you an opportunity to fix the mistakes. That's, All right, now that's let me ask you this. Yeah, what do you got? Well, I'm off. I'm going to fast forward to you on something. Okay. Everybody wants the college football playoff to be expanded, right? Yeah. How much – I mean, it's like 99 to 1, yes, for expansion. <laughs> Regardless, money be damned, whatever. we got to get to 8 or whatever the number is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, why? Well, it brings more people to the table so it's not Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and the designated team every year, Oklahoma or whatever. Where do you stand on it? All right, I understand – well, that doesn't matter. Okay. For the example I'm getting ready to give you, we bring more teams to the table here. Do more coaches get fired at Power 5 because we bring more table, more people to the table and open up that door <laughs> wider because my team doesn't get to the college football playoff oh. when in reality your team is designed to be a competitive team and if you play well and you win nine, congratulations, you, you know, that's the kind of program you've built. You're not playing to go to the college football playoff every year. Yeah. You expanded it so your league might get another another line in the water, if you will. You Bomani, follow me? Bomani Jones, I think, once told me, he said that uh, I never really learned that it can be a good thing to win eight games in a year mm. until I lived in North Carolina. He he uh, is a huge Texas Longhorn guy. so Sure. There, there are some places where eight is bad, but in North Carolina, I I don't remember a time where eight wins was well, ever a and, bad year. And and that's kind of where we're going to go with this basketball season, okay? 
because we have a different number. We have a number of games that are going to be played this year that is going to fall somewhere to an era of about 50 years ago, maybe even further, okay? We haven't played as few games as we're going to play this year in a regular ACC season. Now, I don't know if we're going to get to 20 conference games, okay? I have my doubts on that just because we're going to run out of runway, okay? Because we got to have seven straight days of negative tests for everybody to go play in the NCAA tournament or whatever that is, okay? That's a whole other segment, Josh. We don't have time for that. <laughs> but we're going to play a few number. We're going we're gonna to have somebody potentially, hypothetically, let's say the ACC decides they're going to base the seeds on winning percentage as opposed to victory. So if you go, let's say, 15 and 5, your winning percentage is going to make you the top seed, okay? And you, your team happen to play 20 games, that percentage will push you up. So then let's say that there's somebody that only plays 13 games in the league and they may only play 18 total. So you're going to measure that season on 18 games, whereas next year you may measure them on 32 or 33 or 34 games. We just saw what it would look like in the college football playoff with Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Sure well, did. We're going to be seeing that with just more teams being involved. Oh, I wanted to ask you about the the team you called last night. Wes Durham's with us here from the ACC Network. Watch Backer and Durham in the morning on the ACC Network. I, I'm looking at North Carolina and – it was a massive win last night. That might be their best win they've had so far this year against Syracuse. But mm-hmm. what's going on at point guard? Where it seems crazy enough, based on the numbers and even what we saw last night, the Tar Heels' mm-hmm. best option at the point very well might be Leaky Black right now, who has experience doing so. Caleb is still trying to grasp things. It's hard. Roy's pointed at it. Guys are behind, you know. Guys are playing their 12th game when Harrison Barnes didn't play his first conference game until 15 games in, and people were complaining even then about the slow start he was on. Leakey, I I don't know if North Carolina with this roster needs to have a point guard necessarily be a scorer. Kendall Marshall was never a double-figure scorer. When he took shots, it was only taking away shots from uh, Reggie Bullock, Tyler Zeller, John Henson, Harrison Barnes on that team. This team's mm-hmm. good enough and deep enough where I think if Leakey's running things and he seems to be the steadiest hand, seven assists last night, only one turnover, that might be a good thing, at least for North Carolina right now. What do you think? Well, I think they've got an interesting team because they've got to create combinations, and the combinations could vary you know, depending on the night. Uh, the number one thing they have to do from the perimeter uh, is regardless of who does what in terms of assists, they need to find somebody that is going to, whether it's Kerwin Walton or R.J. Davis or bless his heart, Caleb Love or what have you, they got to find somebody that's going to hit more often than not a perimeter jump shot because Carolina is so good inside and so many weapons, Baycott, Brooks, and De'Ron Sharp, um, that in order for Leaky Black to do what he does in order for Kerwin Walton and some of these other guys, Carolina has to learn to hit a perimeter jump shot. And I don't care who hits it. Black will be a better player as the season goes on because I think Leaky Black's a veteran guy that's been in the program. And I think had he gotten had not gotten hurt at Georgia Tech as a freshman, I think he would have had a much better year that season and thus more confidence a season ago. What's going to transpire now is you're going to get a guy who understands how long this season can be and, and maybe in this season how difficult it's going to be just with the intensity to play. And I think that helps you. I think the other thing, too, is Garrison Brooks and Andrew Playtech, 
in particular have shown at least, hey, guys, even when you're a senior, you don't have it solved and you got to keep grinding. Uh, Carolina's one of – and I would throw Duke into the bucket on this. I would throw um, Virginia, who's playing now against Notre Dame and winning. Uh, I would say those are teams right there who we all thought would be pretty good that will probably be better teams at the end than they are right now. And I think because of the way the league and the year is structured, Josh, we have to kind of understand that and move forward with it. Virginia 57, Notre Dame 36 with 11 left to go on the ACC network. Triple header tonight. And then to recap it all on Packer and Durham, it's – Yeah, among other things we'll do tomorrow. It it is West Durham with us here. Oh, on the way out. Rod Brindamore, he was with us earlier, and okay. as far as I can tell, hockey is the only sport, I think, that has coaches wearing suits right now. NFL, we don't see it. College basketball, we're not seeing it, uh, for this year at least. No, uh, we're going to the tea time in college. Yeah, College J- basketball, we're going tea times. <laughs> James Borrego told us last week that he plans not to go back, and most NBA coaches agree. Hey, we look sharp enough in the polos. We're more comfortable in the polos. That's what we're going to do moving forward. Roy, 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 Roy put the coach Smith on you the other day, though. So he did. You know what's on his mind? He yeah. put he put the he put the Dean Smith saying that Dean always wore suits, so he's going to wear it moving forward. Do you? Would you be surprised if that is the biggest aesthetic change post pandemic huh. watching sports that? This is the cutoff. Hey, after 2020, no more sports, basketball or hockey. They're they're wearing suits anymore. Is that going to be the biggest aesthetic change? Mm. Assuming that fans get back in the stands. God, please, please, please. How about announcers? Can we get back in the stands? Yeah, Um, what about announcers wearing polos? Yeah, well, you know, last night we weren't on camera, so there wasn't even a polo involved. Um, <laughs> I would uh, – I'd say this. Yeah, I think it's got a chance. I mean, look, it, let's be honest. Most of these schools have apparel contracts. The value of that is certainly increased, right? Uh-huh. So think of it in that light. I mean, there's no harm there. Revenues are going to be really important, Josh. I can tell you that. They'll be really, really important next year and the year after for sure. And – you know, whatever structure we get to for intercollegiate athletics in the next five to seven years, revenues will always be critical. So, yeah, I can see where that would become something very important to a school and its provider, as they say. Do you remember the steakhouse that Jim Beheim liked when he came around here? I had it bookmarked to ask you that. Apparently there was one that he is a big fan of. We know Chris Mack loves putters. He's a putters uh, guy. Jim Beheim, I think, with the Twin City. Uh-huh. That 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 would check out Twin uh, City Chop House, right? Uh-huh. Because that's uh, that's part of the organization, uh, part of the ownership group, as I recall, that also had Gate City and Capital City Chop House. Yeah, I'm not in Greensboro sure if, and in Raleigh. I'm not sure if Chris Mack's going to get the putters. Maybe we'll figure that out after the game is over tonight. Oh, Chris Mack will find a way to get the putters before they leave. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. good to hear your voice. I hope. Vicky Thanks, man. And Take care. Doing Always well. fun. We'll talk soon. Everybody's uh, we're all we're all settling in for January, as they say. There you go. It just seems it just seems like it was ten years ago <laughs> we were in Greensboro in March. Hopefully we can all get back together sometime yeah. soon. You're the best, West. Take care, Josh. Thanks, man. Be there, well. There he is. He's on Twitter at West.